The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. So I, I want us to turn today, please, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want to just share something out. Have you enjoyed the word this week? Um, uh, first, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And, and I want to share some things. Listen, I'll tell you what, we, Desiree, we might just not need you tonight. Uh, wouldn't that be great for the last night? Yeah? Um, you just go and sit down and just enjoy yourself. Uh, we're going to try and do this. I'm so used to keyboards, but I'm conscious, uh, uh, you know, she'd been so tight she fell off the stool one night and we, <laughs> we, we, I'll use that as an example for a long time now, you know that. And, um, but I, I, I just want to share, I, I, this is my last meeting and I want to be able to leave something in principle concerning the supernatural of God. Glad to have you back. It's kind of like you too, I just like that. And, um, and so I, I want to share some things, and it's kind of like I, I was burdened this afternoon as I was considering uh, what I would share, and, and what I'm sharing tonight is what I was trying to get to last night, and I felt, normally I'd walk away from last night and just give it a miss and do something else, but I felt drawn back to this, and so some of this may be new, some of this may be totally over your head, what I will share tonight. But, but basically, my whole motivation for this, that, that, that God, I believe, wants to take champions to another place and another area in the Spirit of God. I think He wants to expand you. He wants to expand your sight, your, your supernatural visual sight. He wants, he wants to enlarge your capacity to embrace more of what He is. Hallelujah. So, so let's, just, let's just go this line. We are going to pray for people tonight. I love praying for people. If I couldn't pray for people, I married a Sicilian Italian, and, I, and they're very flamboyant with their hands, um, especially when she's hitting me over the head with a broom. And uh, glory to God, which she just flew in on. Uh, no, 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 look, please. I, rebu- I rebuke myself in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Um, <coughs> But I do miss Kathy being here because she gives me a lot of cheek, and um, uh, I, she uh, she she's a, a great friend of a pastor in New York, and she would sit with Don, Pastor Don, and I'd be goofing off and, and playing around and joshing off with with whatever, and she'd be sitting around there talking to Don, and saying, "You wait till I get him back at the hotel. I'll tell you what he do," and I'd watch these two play up together. And they, they laugh their heads off. One of the things Don said, he said, the thing I really enjoyed about your visit was never you. He said it was always the fact that I could sit with your wife and mock you. He said that's what I enjoyed the most. So I do miss Kathy. She's just such a sweetie. And I talk to her about twice a day. And so you can tell how much I miss her. Hallelujah. And if she caught me saying that, thank God she hasn't got access to tapes. Um, Anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse, uh, and verse 4, Paul says this, And my language and my message was not set forth in persuasive, enticing 
and plausible words. Now, without sounding very critical, the culture of the church today are messages that are measured, persuasive, enticing, and plausible. We have well-structured churches, well-structured sermons, and everything running like clockwork. But whenever I get into the Word of God, I see that God does not run this way. That whenever God shows up and whenever the wind of the Spirit of God is welcomed and allowed to show up in a congregation, all heaven can cut loose and all order goes out the window. Hallelujah. We, we are so organized and so structured that how can God get room? My Bible tells me, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as on eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. The key to that is the waiting. And corporately, we need to learn how to soak and to wait in the presence of God and allow the Holy Spirit to direct us. And, and it can be very, it can be very, uh, uh, I remember one time, just to make the illustration to illustrate this, I, I was pastoring a church <coughs> and we're running about, <coughs> about 400 people. This is the church that grew from about 10. And uh, I was in the meeting and I had prepared a message and I'm, I'm sitting on the front row and uh, my Sunday night was the biggest. Uh, Sunday morning was big, but Sunday night was really large because I usually Sunday morning to build for the Sunday night for an evangelistic service. And so I am, I am sitting there and the Spirit of God speaks to me and he says to me, I don't want you to do a thing tonight. And no pastor wants to hear that, right? So after I bound Jezebel, rebuked every demon in hell, and, and when after all the religious spirits, I realized that it was the voice of God that I was hearing. And I've got hundreds of people there, and I'm thinking, how can you tell me, God, no, don't do anything when I have all these people here? Right? I'm going to make a fool of myself. And, and then the thought came across me, if you do anything when I've told you not to, you're going to make a fool of yourself. Right? So I stood up, I said, fine, but I'm going to tell the people what you just told me. So I got up on the platform and I said, the God, Spirit of God has told me to do nothing. Now the worship's still playing, the, um, to do no, absolutely nothing tonight and I'm to leave it to the Holy Spirit. And they looked at me a bit perplexed because I was perplexed. And, you know, no, no, no leader likes to have a sense where he's lost control. And I've been in moves of God where the supernatural God has moved, things that I've never seen before in the Spirit, and I have, I have lost control at that moment. And it is perplexing because people looked at people like me for leadership. But it's hard to provide leadership when even you don't know what's going on. <laughs> Glory to God. But I love being put in that position because I don't want to, be, I don't want to know everything. 
right? I, I want to lean on the arm of God, not on the arm of flesh. So I stood up there and I went and sat down on the stage and I waited. I, I had an Asian, uh, a Malaysian, I think she was, a Malaysian uh, personal assistant, uh, very qualified, very, uh, a lot of degrees uh, that she obtained in her field. And, um, and then I'm sitting there and it seemed like five minutes, it seemed like five hours. And I'm starting to get edgy. I'm, I'm sort of almost inside begging God, now's a good time. Glory to God, you please. And so I'm waiting here and all of a sudden she screams. It frightened the life out of me because it was such a quiet, worshipful atmosphere. She screams at the top of her voice. I, I almost scream with her because, you know, you scream with people, that they go, ah, and you go, ah, and you don't know what you're going to ah for. And so I almost screamed, and, and everyone's shaken now, and she went out in the power of God. So she's lying on the floor, and she said this. She said the moment she hit the floor, now obviously not bodily because her body was still there, but she instantly went to heaven. And she was in that realm for two hours. And she had an angelic visitation. Then all of a sudden, people in the congregation began to see angels on the platform. No, not me. Uh, angels on the platform and began to see supernatural things happening around the church. People began to get prophetic words. People began to sing in the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit are operating. And I'm telling you something. We started at 7 o'clock at night. We never got out of there before 11.30 midnight. And, and God taught me a lesson. He said, if you will let me do it, I'm really good at it, <laughs> right? I've done this for a long time. But if you, if you give me room, I will move. And so what we're trying to do is get the church out of structure and into waiting. There's a difference between structure and waiting. You can learn structure at a theological college, but only the Spirit of God can teach you how to move in the Spirit. And because of the, the need in the world today and what we face, the complexity of needs, we need to be able to draw from the well that never runs dry, the resources of the Holy Spirit, and we need to begin to start and reach people because what's out there is not working, obviously, and we have to draw from a supernatural source to begin to change people's lives. People who are demon-possessed don't need counseling. They need devils cast out of them. When was the last time you saw a devil come out of a person? Most of the, half the churches don't even think there is a devil. Right? But, but, but when I was growing up in, in the church, it was commonplace to see people come under the convicting power of God and begin to violently gerate in the seat or froth at the mouth or start screaming and, and we'd leap down there and cast the devil out of them and move on. But today we're afraid of that in the church today because we think we'd lose the congregation. In fact, what you do, you actually draw people because they see that they're in a church that's on the cutting edge of the Holy Ghost. And that's what we need to see. People are starving for this. And can I be really bold because I'm leaving town tomorrow with my Starbucks, right? Leaders get it wrong. People are hungry for this, but leaders get it wrong and they read it wrong. Glory to God. 
not all leaders, I'm not generalizing. So Paul says this, my language and my message was not set forth in persuasive, enticing, and plausible words of wisdom, but they were in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power, are proof by the Spirit and power of God operating on me. See, 1 John 2.20, we have an anointing upon and we have an anointing within. There is an abiding anointing, but there's also an anointing that comes upon us to do a job. We are all anointed, 1 John 2.20. We have the anointing and the anointing abides. There is an abiding anointing that you don't have to pray for. But many times God will come upon people or upon churches and, and one of the most, uh, one of the strongest anointing you can have is the corporate anointing. And so he said, but they were in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power, proof by the Spirit and the power of God operating on me and stirring in the minds of my hearers the most holy emotions and thus persuading them. God, through him, was stirring the, the holy emotions of man and thus persuading them to the gospel so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, human philosophy, but in the power of God. Hallelujah. Now turn with me to the book of Judges. Uh, Judges chapter 2. No way we're going to get through everything tonight. I'm just going to just take pieces of this and share. I, I, I just, there's something about this church that draws the teach out of you. Uh, some churches draw different things. Uh, I, I go to some churches and will always draw the prophetic in me. Other churches will draw the revivalist in me. This church draws the teach out of me. Um, and it could be possibly the background of your, of your church and the culture of the church. But it's good. I, I love to teach. Don't get me wrong. All right. In, in Judges chapter 2, it says this. And also all that generation were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation. Today we have another generation. Another generation after them who did not know, recognize, understand the Lord or even, work, uh, uh, or, or even the work which he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they went after other gods of the peoples around about them and bowed down to them and provoked the Lord together uh, to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served the, ba the Baal, the God Baal. We are in a generation today, and I'm going to say some things. Some of you might not understand what I'm, what I'm about to say, but please, for those that do, just go with the flow. Today we live in a generation, I believe, many leaders are orphan leaders. They are orphaned because they are fatherless. But there is an onus 
on the fathers that have gone of not reproducing themselves in the sons that wanted to come alongside them. See, see I, I, I was with Daniel Norris, um, uh, a, a spiritual protege of Steve Hill from Brownsville, the Pensacola Revival. And, <coughs> excuse me, Steve was his, uh, Steve Hill was his uh, mentor, was his spiritual father. Now, ministry will grow and increase if we are connected relationally wise with a spiritual father and a spiritual mother. Hallelujah. There's a dynamic that when there's that connection, right, that the man who is connected to a spiritual father is not drawing from his equal or from somebody that is equal to what he's doing, but he's drawing from the anointing of fatherhood from the man of God that he is in a relationship with. Notice I did not say in submission to. Because it's not about submission, it's about relationship. Now, if you had seen Preston and I, when we first met, when I first met Preston, right? Preston was playing a guitar at his church at Riverside. That's when I first saw Preston. And I looked at this man and I said, I really love Preston. It was kind of like man love. That's the only way I can describe it. And I knew that we were connected in the spirit. But, but I didn't feel released to be able to tell him what I was feeling. And I hope he doesn't mind. I'm about to share something and I hope he doesn't mind me doing this. I mean, he can't. I mean, I'm going to share it anyway. So, I mean, so what? Glory to God. And so for years, I have felt connected to this man and his wife in a father capacity, right? Until one day, and I never mentioned, I, I didn't feel to say anything to him. And then one day he took me back to the hotel. That's when the Ford was actually on the road. <laughs> Glory to God. That was a year, no, no, no. Uh, no, no, I think it was the Lincoln there. No, I think it was the Lincoln. And uh, uh, by the way, I asked him tonight, I texted him, are you picking me up in the Ford? And he just said no without any qualification whatsoever. So the day you see that, I think you should have a party in the church. Fords live. And, um, and so he came to me and he said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, do you think, do you feel like my spiritual father? And my response was, I didn't think you would ever ask. And it was like when, when, God, when God does something relationally and it's supernatural by the Spirit and it's relational, it's something that will last for years because what happens now, we have, we have young leaders that are wanting to get with names, with notable people that they can say, this is my spiritual mentor or spiritual father because they have reputation or have a name. And that is not a relationship. That is getting with somebody because you are connected with somebody. I have a spiritual father. My spiritual father is, is, is almost in retirement. 
but I will get with him now and, and I will lunch with him once a year because we both travel. He's in Asia, I'm in America. And so he, we'll, we'll sit down there and, and we, the last time we had lunch together was an amazing time. And the son in me needs to have fellowship with the father in him. Now, I don't know why, because I'm, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked again and you're doing it to me. It's your fault, it's not mine. But I want you to get the understanding of where your pastor and I and, and, and Ash, where we stand. And so Paul is saying, he said this, there are, sorry, in Judges rather, there arose another generation. So much of the body of Christ, I want you to write this down, much of the body of Christ, churches, have become a prisoner of mere principle. And if you become a prisoner of mere principle, you will reject the supernatural. Yet the Christian faith began with a supernatural God. And because of that, we need to understand the role of the supernatural in the believer. Hallelujah. Principle is not enough. Wisdom is not enough. Teaching is not enough. As good as it is, it is still not enough. Paul, the great scholar, said, I did not come with enticing words. And if any man was, was equipped to be able to teach the gospel, it was Paul. He had an encounter with God. He was learned... He was, a, he was a Pharisee, he was learned, right? Yet he said, I did not come leaning on that, I came in demonstration and power of the God that I served and I'll stir up holy emotions in you and that will persuade you. My demonstrating of the power of God stirs up holy emotions in you and thus persuading you towards God. We need to learn that kind of anointing when we're operating as preachers to believe God to stir up the most holy emotions in people when they see a display of the demonstration power of God. In, in when I was pastoring, you have to build an atmosphere in the culture for the supernatural of God corporately and individually. What I did, I took Mark 11, 23, 24. You shall say to the mountain, be thou removed. And so I, I would have a prayer meeting. See, and a lot of churches are throwing out prayer meetings. What's that about? They meet Sunday morning and that's it. That's the only time they meet. I called a pastor. I'm going to a new church in Oklahoma soon and I rang the pastor he was, uh, he was referred to me by another uh, pastor, a friend of mine, and I rang this pastor and I, I said, Travis, I said, how you doing? I'm Nigel McNeil. And, and uh, I knew it was a thrill for him to meet me on the phone. And um, <laughs> just kidding. And so I'm talking to him on the phone and I said, uh, I, he, I, I, I came highly recommended by a, a man that travels into his church and he said, well, look, I can, I can because I had a cancellation. And he said, I can give you a Sunday morning. Well, see, here's my problem with that. I'm not some blowing, right? I'm relational right from the get-go. If I can't have a relationship with you, I don't want to come back to your church. Hallelujah. 
because I've got the heart of a father. I might, not be, I might not be your father, but I still have the heart of a father. And I think in terms of fatherhood. And so I said to him, well, let's just, why don't we just do one other meeting as well? And he said, well, we could do Sunday night like it was a big deal. We could do Sunday night. And I went, whoa, whoa, now we're cooking with gas. And I said to him, I said, you're a very brave man. That's what I said to him. You're a very brave man. He said, how do you mean? I said, well, you've never even heard me. I said, this is what I said. Are you open? If the Spirit of God would break out, are you open? And he said, I, uh, um, <laughs> no, it wasn't an immediate answer, which worried me a bit. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 of course. Well, he had to say, yeah, no, no, I'm not. Couldn't say that, could he? So I really put, I made him feel very uncomfortable. Actually, it was an uncomfortable phone call, and I was glad when I hung up. What he sent me, he must have had time to pray about it, because he sent me an email just the other day. He said, I have booked you in at the hotel on Friday, and he said, I've, I've booked it until Wednesday of next week right? And he said, we can add or deduct as the Lord would see fit. So he had time to pray about that. And I love pastors like that because you don't find many like that. There are enough churches. See, historically, most churches in this church I went to, I began mature with in, in, in Florida, uh, and, and we ended up praying for over 630 people in the morning service. Historically, you don't normally pray for people on a Sunday morning service. But, but I said, can I do whatever I want? And he knows me, knew me before he was pastor of the church. And he said, Nigel, go for a broke, just whatever, see. And, and Preston does the same, just whatever you want to do, just go for it. And we end up praying for hundreds in the Sunday morning service. See, that creates a momentum and that creates excitement in the church. And, and, and until you build a culture of, of the demonstration power of God, you're not going to see demonstration. You have to start releasing your faith and believing that God is going to come to champions and, and, and begin to demonstrate the power of God. So what are you releasing? What are you believing God for? See, some, some, sometimes I go into a church, and, and I, I've, I've noticed this. I go into church, and there's real undercurrents. And, and I say to myself, my God, this is going to be a long week, right, when you've got that kind of thing. And so you've got things going. And so what, what, sometimes what I do, rather than deal with the Spirit, I'll start to demonstrate. So I'll begin to believe God for miracles straight off. I say, look, it's lovely to be here. I do that sort of opening speaker stuff, you know, nice to be here and, you know, it's beautiful and yeah, now let's get right to it. And so then I start to operate in, in, in miracles and, and the miracles start to break open that, that ornery spirit that's in the church. We've got to start and depend on, on the gifts of God and the move of the spirit to create the atmosphere where people want to come into the building and get a touch from God. We have to start meeting needs. It's not enough to just teach mere principle. Principle is good. Write this down. Principle is good if it is infused by the Spirit. 
principle must be with demonstration. Principle without demonstration is not the whole gospel. You're very quiet tonight. Are you being deep? <laughs> is that what it is? I think, you know, someone said, I say that because I was in the church and everything's very quiet and people are taking notes. And I said, are you okay? And the pastor said, we're just deep. <laughs> Glory to God. I said, okay. Just wanted to know what deep was. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the Bible says in Judges, there arose another generation who did not know the Lord or the works that the Lord hath done. And we are living in a generation today that do not know the demonstration and they don't know the works. They know the principle, but they don't know the works. So what we have to do is teach the works. We have to teach people to come out of their comfort zone, take the risk, be vulnerable, and begin to believe God. These signs shall follow them that believe. Right? It's not up, it's not, our focus should never be here, but it should be on us. We are the ones that lay hands on the sick. We are the ones that cast devils out. Hallelujah. I would just love tonight if someone who was demon-possessed, I, mean, I should have paid someone to come. I, I, someone who was just demon-possessed that could just give a blood-curdling scream, we would have the night of all nights if that would happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh! <sighs> Too much barbecue, brother. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some people, they've been brought up in the gospel. There's a generation today that only knows a quarter of the gospel, not the whole gospel. Glory to God. When you receive Christ in your life, especially when you receive the Holy Spirit, you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you've got a whole lot of things happening in here all of a sudden. Because when I got the Holy Ghost, because I was brought up an Anglican or Episcopalian, and we were gentle people. Until I got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden some weird stuff began happening on the inside of me. And I'd seen the Holy Rollers on, on movies. You know, I, I saw all that stuff, and crazy people doing crazy stuff. And I ended up two Baptist brothers taking me to this meeting. And I saw an enactment of the movies in real life, in real time. And, and people falling off the chair, running. And they, they, you know, they'd run around the church. And I think, why are they running around the church? And I thought, I'm in a nut house here. I hated this. Until the preacher... Uh, and he was one of these people that baptized the congregation with a spit, right? He just spat everywhere. And uh, he, he asked for people to come up and get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, in which I responded, not because I wanted to, but because the two Baptist brothers that I was sandwiched in between, because I was a young guy, lifted me up and took me out to the front and plucked me. <laughs> You know, now, I, you, we're laughing at this, and I'm laughing at this, but this was hell at the time. 
and put me in front of this guy. His name was Ray Bloomfield, and Ray began to pray over me. Receive you. And he was uncouth, a bit like Trump. And he, <laughs> I couldn't resist. I do love Trump. I love what he's doing, but he, you know, he's a little bit uncouth. And please don't tweet Trump. Uh, tweeting needs to stop. Social media needs to stop. Anyway, I don't know what got me into politics. And, um, and so what happened now, he is praying for me, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm dripping in his, his spit, and I'm, I'm a Baptist at this time, and I'm hating all of this. I loathe this experience. I'm fighting it within myself. And, and the two Baptist brothers are standing up there with me, and they're going, thank you, Jesus. He's here. We got him here. And I think, not for long. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, and, and I wasn't coming through because I was really aggressively against all this. See, it's amazing. We'll sit and listen to teaching. But when we are confronted with this, we can be taught this and accept this mentally. But when we are confronted with the reality of this, now we have a problem. See, we can talk about people prophesying in the house of God until someone actually, you know, gets enough gumption to step out and go, Yay, behold! And you think, what's that? Where did that come from? We're good with that. We're not good with that. We're good with hearing that you can, that you can prophesy. My name they shall cast out demons. We say that. We go, yes, glory to God, until a demon goes, ah, and then we're scared stiff. So when we, we, we can talk about this, we, but when it happens and it's demonstrated in front of us, we have a problem with it and we think we're, we're, we've joined a nuthouse church and, and some of us will run out the door and never want to come back. If you build a church on mere principle, when you start to demonstrate, let me tell you something, you will lose people, but your, your gain will be more than your loss. Am I, am I saying something tonight? So now I'm standing there. I wasn't coming through. I had a real attitude. So what they all, all the Pentecostal preachers do, they call for reinforcements out of the congregation. <laughs> right? Now, I was a vain young man and, and, and in the day that I had here. And what they did, I, I, I had worked, because I was looking for a wife as well as going to church, right? So I did my hair all nice and... And, and, you know, went to church and in the meeting. And, and um, <clears throat> I'd never seen my pastor even sweat in the Baptist church. This guy was dripping, this Ray Bloomfield fellow. He was dripping with sweat and rip his coat off and throw it on the floor. And I thought, what? And, and uh, they had an intermission. They, uh, it was in a town hall and the place was packed. They had an intermission and they, well, while they did the offering, he shot out the back, changed his shirt and the suit and come back in a different one and, and drenched that. So I'm standing in front of this guy that I can't even stand and he calls out reinforcements. I had no idea what he was doing. All of a sudden I see all these people running out of the congregation towards me and I think, whoa, hey, 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 what's happening now? And they all came out, you see, and, and, and I'm I'm wide-eyed and bushy-tailed at this stage because this Baptist boy about to get his britches kicked by God, right? And I stand there, and they, they, they 
push me down like this. In the name of Jesus. So I've got his saliva. I've got everybody else's saliva. And they're all huffing and puffing. Some were even smacking my, my chops like this. Like, Come on, speak and never do this with people. They're smacking my chops. Come on, speaking like and I thought, what are, what are they doing to me? And they're going like this. And I thought, I'm in hell. I am in total hell in this experience. Glory to God. And so the pressure of them all praying for me, now my hair's everywhere. All I can think about, honestly, is my hair. I'm a young guy, right? And, and, and it was beautiful when I went there and it's sort of like this. Up the front, I'm just, I'm like this. And I know that when I look at the mirror, I'm going to, oh my gosh. And so I ended up like this. I'll never get, I end up like this and I'm, I'm pushed down like this. And, and I thought, if, and, and then the, the, I, I must have been, had a demon. Because then I thought, if I can just get enough room, I'm going to pop him. <laughs> right? And so I'm ready I wasn't long, that long saved, and I thought if I if I can just if I can just get if I can get rid of these people and get enough swing, I'll whack him up the jaw, right, and drop the preacher, right. Oh, I was a horrible person, and so but I couldn't I couldn't get enough I couldn't get the swing back, and you can't pop somebody. Yeah, it's not going to work, right? <laughs> Hallelujah! And I'm looking for this, and uh, anyway, <clears throat> then what he does, he gets one of those. Uh, you know those, what do you call them here? Um, uh, those, like a sausage, a draft stopper that you put on the doors to stop the draft from coming and made of material. What do you call that here? A draft stopper. <laughs> you're so deep. You, no, you're so deep. I, I love that. And so this guy grabs the, the draft stopper and he knows, there's a, there's, he knows there's contention and conflict for the enemy over me. And so he gets to the side, and he's going, and he's hitting this thing. In the name of Jesus, I come against you, you foul spirit. You come out, Tom. Come out of him like this. And I'm looking at him. I'm like this. I'm, I'm looking at him do this, and I think, what in earth is going on here? Right? What he was doing is symbolically binding the spirit over me. And I didn't know. I mean, for me, I was a Baptist at the time. I just thought it was Jesus, and who's the devil? And so, and all of a sudden, I'm meeting him face to face. Then out of my, see now, bearing in mind, I was brought up in mere principle. Now I'm coming in contact with the other face of God. I'm coming face to face with his hand, with his works. I had enjoyed the principles of God. But now I was having trouble with the demonstration of God. But out of my belly began to well up rivers of living water. An experience I could not, by an act of my will, stop. And it kept bubbling up in my spirit. And woe betide. Out of my mouth, out loud. It shocked me. Came this perfect prayer language, tongues. 
and I it came out of me, and the Baptist brothers were by this time advancing. Because I didn't know it. They were baptized in the Spirit in a sneak. They never told me they were, right? And so that's right. <coughs> and so I'm dancing, uh, they're dancing around and thanking Jesus. And I'm 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 embarrassed. But I find my embarrassment level starting to dissipate. And then I get to the point where I don't care anymore. And I have been at that level ever since. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because I made a determination. I'm not going to be as miserable as the people I minister to. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because there's some miserable people around. And I don't want to be that. I, I've, I embrace the joy with relish. And so now I'm speaking in tongues at the top of my voice. Everyone's jumping. Ray Bloomfield, he's twirling around and dancing. And I don't care anymore. It's like I'm engrossed in this thing. I just literally don't care. I go home. I'm staying with these two Baptist brothers. And, and all night I was speaking in tongues in the house. They ministered to young men like me. They were phenomenal mentors. One's gone to be with the Lord. Another's on his way. And... Um, and, uh, but they, they were just incredible people. Well, Kathy and I, many years forward, we're in Austin. And I'm preaching in Austin. And at the end of the meeting, the pastor who's a prophet, a, a well-known prophet, said this to me. He said, you have the same breakthrough anointing as my spiritual father. And I said, who is your spiritual father? He said, Brother Ray Bloomfield. Whoa, glory to God. And he said, the same mantle of that that was on him is now on you. Glory to God. When you touch the hand of God. And what God wants to do, He wants to not you to abandon principle, but He wants you to infuse it with demonstration in your personal life. You have to come with an expectation that God is about to blow the cobwebs and blow all the spiders out and see the demonstrating power of God, praying for the sick, deliverance. Deliverance should be in every house of God. Because some people don't need, they're beyond counseling. They're in chains. What are strongholds? Strongholds are holds that are strong over us. And they need to be broken. Are you getting something out of this tonight? Hallelujah. All right. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. We're not long, we're not long to go now. Acts chapter 15. Hallelujah. You're being deep again. What did I say? Acts chapter 15 and verse 26. So we need to understand the role of the supernatural in the believer. Now, I've got to cut this message short. I haven't even got past page one yet. 
which is a problem. But, but Acts chapter 15 and verse 26, it reads this way. Well, let's look at verse 25. It has been resolved by us in assembly to select men and send them as messages to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have hazarded, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> spirit of crud. Men who have hazarded their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the free Greek translation, it would read, men who have gambled with their lives for Jesus Christ. So I want you to write this down in, in, in connection with this particular verse because I want to talk about risk for a minute. We must be determined to gamble with your life for Jesus. In other words, take risks. Take risks in the gift. People asked me a question one time. A young man asked, a young man asked me, he said, when you're praying for the sick and somebody doesn't get healed, what do you do? I just say, next. I don't complicate it. The healing part is not my problem. I've got to be obedient. Not everybody gets healed and not everybody gets miracles. A lot of people do. We, in fact, the church in Florida, a lot of people, we had miracles. We had people getting touched by God, God giving prophetic insight to people I'd never met before. But we're going to talk, you can't operate in the gifts and operate in the hand of God, in the works of God, without vulnerability and taking risks. I'm vulnerable even now. And I'm operating in a, preaching, a teaching gift. I'm vulnerable now. I've got to take a risk. I mean, all of you could walk out. There's no guarantees with all of this. When I step into the shuttle and I go to the airport, and, and I, I've got to trust God with everything. I've got to trust God financially. I've got to trust God that I can meet all my costs. Thank God over the years, over 25 years, the ministry has never been in debt. Mind you, I run, I run lean as well. I'm frugal. I'm even frugal back home. Not mean, just frugal. We're frugal with us and generous with others. Hallelujah. So what it means basically... Men who have hazarded their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we need to learn in the Spirit to throw the dice. Sometimes in ministry there come situations that there is no other way to handle something and we need to have confidence in God and step out into something that's not comfortable out of our comfort zone and trust God that the gifts of the Spirit are going to operate, and God's going to give us supernatural insight, and we're going to be able to minister to people. This guy in Australia, I used to work on staff, church of about two and a half, three thousand. What he did, he brought double-decker buses. You know those London double-decker buses? And he painted them yellow. And he got... Mickey Mouse, Goofy, all the Disney characters painted on this yellow, these yellow buses, had a fleet of them. And then he trained bus pastors. Their job 
and they put flyers out around the whole area and they would go, they'd door knock first of all, talk to the parents, say, look, we're a church at so-and-so, we're running a children's program, we'd love to take little Johnny to the church, uh, we're making some, uh, some gift, they're going to make a gift for you, you and your husband, and then we'll drop them back in the big bus and we give all the kids balloons. And, we, and while we're doing that, we had, we had what we called an all-day all candy. When you suck this candy, it would last all day. And so what we'd do, uh, we'd have a little kid uh, with uh, the bus ministry people, and, and of course the kids would just love to see their bus outside, and we'd give them candy. And, uh, and they loved it, and, and, and of course the, the day come around where we had to come around and pick them up, and so we'd load them all to the bus, and we'd pack hundreds of kids. We had a fleet of buses and all these kids in the bus. So the bus pastor, then we have the driver, and then what the bus pastor did, he preached the gospel to the children on the way to church, right? Led them to Christ in the bus. Hallelujah. Then what they did, they came to church and they made a craft that took six weeks to complete. Hallelujah. You've got to have some nows with this. It took six weeks, which meant they had to keep coming and picking the kid up because the kid says, I haven't finished the thing for you. I'm making something for you. At the end of six weeks, we would have a presentation of all the things that the kids had made their, their parents. We'd invite all the parents in and all the kids in We'd have a gospel message, get the, the kids were already saved, get the parents saved, get them baptized in the Holy Ghost, and then a week later we had a galvanized tank. Out, we, we had assembled it, put it out in the middle of the, of the hall, of, of the uh, venue, and we filled it with water, and we start baptizing the parents in water. People get so drunk in the baptismal tank, we had to literally pick them up and take them out. So we baptize the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Down they would go, but they wouldn't come back up again. We had, they were, oh, Father God. And, and many times we had, to shoulder, we had to lift them shoulder out of the baptismal tank. The church grew so fast. It was a church of principle, but it was also a church of demonstration. When we advertise a water baptismal service, they come for miles. And I used to assist sometimes in the water baptismal tank with a senior pastor. And there was none of this standing at the side of a tank with your suit on, giving the, the blessing of the potus, you know. Hallelujah. Man, we just put shorts and T-shirts on and we jumped in there with them, glory to God. We were as wet as what they were. John the Baptist didn't stay, stand on the River Jordan and have his handlers go out and water baptize people. He got in amongst them. See, this is so opposite to the, to, to, to the culture that we have now as church. But I'm here to tell you people want to see that kind of thing. We used to sing that hymn, Up from the grave he arose. We used to sing that when they come up out of the water. 
Especially if we didn't have to, you know, pick him up. We need to see that come back. At times I feel like a John the Baptist. I'm not elevating myself. But I feel like, like I'm like a, an announcer. A voice that says, he's coming again, get ready. There is an awakening coming, get ready. Revival is coming to America again, get ready. This nation is in trouble. Now I'm going to really step out on no man's land here. But I believe your presidente is the choice of God for this moment. I don't get him as a person, right? But somehow things have happened under him so quickly. And there isn't, as I travel around America, there is an optimism that I haven't seen in years. But God chooses the base and the foolish to confound the wise in spite of the fact that Trump does have an extremely high IQ. And I can't vote in America. I'm green card. I'm not, I have no status to vote. But we're in trouble. When he said drain the swamp, I think there's something like 70,000 indictments. I don't know whether you know this, but I know a lot about America. The military are already on alert to handle civil unrest in this nation and in position for that. Because you've got Trump who's bombastic and uncouth, and then you've got the loony left. So what do we need in this chaos? We need the breath of God to blow like he did in the upper room. And we need God to blow on America. I've got to tell you, America is ripe for an amazing move of the Spirit. Glory to God. When I first came over here in the early 90s, I walked straight into a national move of God. I know what America can do when God breathes on it. We need an awakening. But as a church, we have to prepare. I spoke to you at the beginning about preparing a ladder, Jacob's ladder. I went and saw it today. Just that out there is just phenomenal. And uh, Jacob's ladder speaks of access to the supernatural of God. It was a ladder that began on earth, but reached heaven, and the angels began to ascend and descend. So what am I saying as a man that loves this church? Start to prepare for the coming move of God. Start having prayer meetings. Asking God to blow on your life and blow on this community. Hallelujah. I've prayed, because I've been in about four outpourings. 
sorry, that was a, an evangelist speaking, three outpourings. I've been in three major outpourings, and I've been used in the three of them, <laughs> not solely. And I'm hungry for the next one. And my prayer has always been, God, don't let me get so old here before you send the next wave of the Spirit. And I've asked the Lord, keep me young. Look, if I, at 77, if I look like you, I will kiss your feet. Hallelujah. Some people just get old because they're old. But you don't have to be that way. I'm 72, man. I tell you, I'm pumped. I haven't gone out and, and picked my motorized scooter up yet. I, I try to keep this as good as I can. I train, not here, but I train every day when I'm home. But my mind's young, but I've said to the Lord, I, I don't want to be so old that I'm physically incapable of handling a move of God if you bring it. I want God to do this while I'm here in this nation. Wonderful Jesus. Can you just, uh, can you just bear with me and let me give you one last just a couple of pointers on operating in the supernatural and why we don't. I want you to write these down and I'm going to close with this. This really after today could be two and three series in this but number one, the reason why we don't move corporately and individually is we have a fear of risk. When risk is taken out of your walk with God, you, you no longer understand the kingdom. Risk is a very important ingredient in the kingdom of God. So it's risky business. <coughs> Number two. Fear of failure. Fear of failure keeps us from taking risks because we are constantly dealing with the what-ifs. Number three, why we don't move in the supernatural. Embarrassment. How many times have we disobeyed disobey God to prevent ourselves from being embarrassed? I had to die to embarrassment. I know you're not, you think I'm going to lie in this next statement, but I used to be very self-conscious. I would, I would get embarrassed quickly. But I had to die to that because my not wanting to be embarrassed and always be comfortable meant that I didn't have access to his demonstrating power. Embarrassment. So we've got the fear of risk, the fear of failure, embarrassment. Number four, inadequacy. Please write this down. If you are adequate, you've just already lost your ministry. If you are adequate, you've already lost your ministry. 
Inadequacy is necessary for effective ministry. And the reason why we feel inadequate is because we are now touching the Almighty God. And when you touch the Almighty God, there is no other way except inadequate. I am totally inadequate. I, I remember going to a pastor in New York and I said, look, I'm really having a problem. And uh, he said, what is it? I said, every, every time I get to preach, I feel totally inadequate. And, and his answer surprised me. He said, make that your best friend. And I've never forgotten that. There are times I'll get into an arena of ministry and honestly, Inside, I'm collapsing. Inside, I'm in a, a basic panic. But I'm seasoned enough not to let that rule me. Sometimes we don't have it together. Preston doesn't always have this together, pastoring the church. Amen. I don't always have it together as a traveling ministry. If you knew how dependent we are on God, it would shock you. And we, we stand up here and do our stuff. Hallelujah. Number five. We're almost there. What stops us moving in the supernatural? is handling the accuser of the brethren. In other words, you haven't prayed enough. You don't deserve a move of God. How can you have a move of God? You just had a fight with your wife. You left the church to come to preach to the church. You left home to come to preach in the church with your wife's voice screaming at you. And the enemy comes and he says, how can you minister? Look at your life. And please note this. The accusations become more frightening when you decide to move into the supernatural. I'll say it again. The accusations become more frightening when you decide to move into the supernatural. And the last one, the last one is disobedience. And I'm going to say something to you. <clears throat> we don't always want to do this. This time when I left Australia, I fought really hard leaving my wife this time. I did not want to leave my, my family. I did not want to leave my kids. So now I've got a struggle between America and my family. I knew if I was disobedient and stayed home, I would be a sorry dude. And I'd be worse for my wife that way than leaving and having the absence. The reason why I mentioned disobedience, there's Ray, can you come? 
The reason why I mentioned disobedience is because sometimes you don't get the flow of ministry until you step out and actually do it. But the journey from there to doing it can be a rocky at times. Hallelujah. But at the end of the day, what a great God we serve. So what am I saying? I'm saying that open yourself to the demonstration and the supernatural presence of God. And do not be a prisoner of mere principle, but embrace the supernatural into your life. How do you do that? How do I do that? I just simply wait on the Spirit of God. Different churches draw different things out of me. What's drawing out of me for this church is to prepare you for what's coming. Because I'm telling you, something's coming. Other churches I go to, like, <coughs> there was one year, uh, 2016. When was the election? 2016 was that year. But, but the year was memorable for me, not just because of, of the election, which I thought was the most bizarre election I've ever seen in my life, right? But it was because I faced all year pneumonia and asthma. And when I was, especially in New York, I didn't know what was wrong with me. And uh, I had shortness of breath. I had shallow breath. I was, I was breathing like this. So when you're breathing like that and you're preaching, so I figured I've got to work a way around this. I thought, I think I'm dying. Honestly, thought this is it. In fact, in New York, I, I was, the only way I could, I could sleep, I would, I would stand on the bed, put my hand on the bed, and I'd raise myself up like that, and it somehow cleared my chest enough to breathe. And the Spirit of God spoke to me in this hotel. Kathy was uh, with me in 2016. And he said to me, you could die tonight. And when that voice spoke that to me, it was the most beautiful possibility I've ever been faced with. And I turned around to the Lord with absolute joy. And I said, I know. I'm ready. And then the moment left. But that year, I saw an outbreak, especially in New York, of miracles after miracles. They, they came from everywhere because of the signs and wonders. And here's me gasping for breath on the front row. Hallelujah. I, I, I went into the meeting one night. It was the last night. And I said to Kathy, I can hardly breathe, babe. She said, what are you going to do? I said, when in doubt, let's have testimony night. So I said to the pastor, how about you, in between shortness of breath, how about you have testimonies? And the testimonies took all night, which was a relief for me. Glory to God. And then I prayed for hundreds of people that night after that. 
got back to the hotel, got back to the pastor's house rather, and someone gave me a puffer they had. And, and I, I, it was a wrong stuff though, but I, it gave me some relief. Why do I do that? Why do you do stuff like that? It's because you're not going to allow a little thing to stop you doing a big thing. And I'm fine now. Man, I'm, I'm so dangerous I frighten myself. <laughs> and what's really odd, I got back to Australia. I remember we, we got upgraded to business class on points. And, uh, and I've got this pneumonia or asthma, whatever. And I walked into the plane. I went into a coughing fit. And Kathy says, Nigel, what are you doing? And I said, I said, <coughs> I just, she said, they'll kick us off the plane. They won't let us on. Stop coughing. <laughs> it's like, stop dying. We need to go home. And I'm going, and I'm sitting in, and once we got about 20,000 feet, <coughs> I, just, I just coughed all through business class. But I, I went to the doctor at about 9, 9.30 in the morning, and I said to him, I'm ordering a CAT scan. <laughs> right? I've been going to the doctor for years. He knows I'm nutty. I said, order a CAT scan. He said, I don't know if we can get you. And I said, you will. Find a clinic. So they found one. I had the CAT scan in the morning. Full lung CAT scan. Because the enemy spoke to me and said, you've got lung cancer. See, because it wouldn't get better. I had the scan. And guess what? There was nothing wrong with me. Right? They just picked up asthma. That's all they picked up. But basically nothing wrong with me. Gave me a puffer and sent me home. And that was the experience for 2016, and the election was not a good year for me. Hallelujah. But you've got to make a decision. Whatever you find yourself in, God, your provision. And we had the greatest outpouring of miracles that I've seen in a long time, that year. Now, I'm not saying get sick and have miracles. I'm not saying that. We're not having, let's get sick meetings and train you to be sick, and then you have great outpouring. I'm not saying that. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.org.